and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. This week, it's a quarterly investment outlook special where we put your questions to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. Questions this time reflected the current nervousness of markets, but perhaps offered some hope for 2023 as well. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Each quarter, Fidelity publishes its investment outlook, a snapshot of the markets landscape that rounds up the issues on the minds of investors. An invaluable part of that is the questions that we invite you to submit to us, and in particular to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. And Tom is here. Uh, We've answered some of those questions in a special video that accompanies the Outlook. You can find that, as well as the Outlook itself, of course, at the Markets and Insights section of our website at fidelity.co.uk. The podcast this week takes on even more of those questions. Tom is here with me to do it. Tom, welcome along. Um, Before we get into the questions this week, can we have a word on markets in general as as we start this new year? Lots of caution about, of course. But do you get the sense, as I do, that investors are beginning to spot a pathway um, for markets to make a bit of a comeback this year? Yes, and 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 I've been talking for some time about this disconnect between uh, the markets and the uh, economy, um, making the point that that markets tend to move ahead of the economy. So even when the economy is still looking uh, pretty difficult, um, uh, markets can look through the headlines to, to to better times ahead. Now I hadn't anticipated that it would happen. Uh, so quickly, I was rather looking at the middle of the middle of 2023 um, for for markets to start to become more optimistic. Maybe when inflation was obviously coming down and interest rates uh, had obviously uh, peaked. But what we've seen at the beginning of this year is a very strong start to 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 the market. Not so much the markets we tend to look at regularly. So the S and P. 500, for example, is up 1.4% in the first five trading days of the year. But the FTSE 100 up 3.7%. And some of the other um, less commonly watched markets like Germany's DAX is up over 6%. And Hong Kong's Hang Seng index is up over 8%. So uh, overall, it's been a very strong start to markets this year. Early days. Early very days. early days. But does that not speak, I mean, whatever that says about the year, I mean, who knows, right? But does it not at least tell us that markets want to rise, if I can put it that way, that actually investors are, as I say, looking for a pathway to a recovery in the stock market? They're wanting to invest. There's a, there's a sort of attitude of risk on, sort of. We know the risks that are out there. We know the, the, the sort of threats to that. But the money's there on the sidelines waiting to go and to be positive. Yes, and and you know, twenty twenty two was a very difficult year um, in 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 markets. The the S and P five hundred was was down nearly twenty percent. Uh, so I think when you know when you have been in a bear market for uh, a year, which which we have, I think you know uh, investors do start to be to 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 look out for opportunities. And it, I think you're right to say that the market feels like it wants to. To go up, it sounds mm. like a strange <laughs> thing way way to talk about a, a yeah. market, but markets do have this kind of mood, and it does sort of feel like there's a more positive feel about the markets. The yeah, and I think actually that was reflected in the questions that we've received for the outlook this time. I and mean, sometimes they're sort of all gloomy or or too positive. There's a real mix this time. So let's get into some of those questions now, Tom. Uh, the first one is this: the U.S. market looks expensive and the dollar may weaken, so returns may disappoint UK investors this year, the questioner says. But they say never bet against America. 
should one still have a good percentage of one's investments in the US? Yeah, good question. And I think that, um, uh, yes, I think broadly speaking, people should have a a decent exposure to the US market for the simple fact that um, uh, the US stock market represents more than 50%, I think maybe 60% of the the value of of global markets. So to have um, anything other than a reasonable position in the US markets uh, would be uh, a slightly eccentric and negative uh, yeah. uh, take on on uh, what what the US its likely contribution uh, to the to the global economy and to global markets w- would be. The other point that's made by the question though is correct that the US is a more expensive market than almost all other uh, stock markets. So we're talking about you know maybe seventeen or eighteen times um, expected earnings. The FTSE 100, by contrast, is on about 10 times earnings. The European markets, the Japanese market, maybe on 12 times earnings. So that's a pretty significant difference in terms of valuation. Um, And uh, the point about the dollar is a good one as well, that um, uh, if you are a a sterling-based uh, investor and the, the 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 value of your dollar denominated assets falls, then obviously uh, you know you'll bear the bear the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, I mean good technical observations, but generally speaking, I would absolutely continue to have a pretty sizable exposure to the US. Okay, okay. Well, let's move on. Um, the next question is this, Tom. Uh, dear Tom, I'm interested in gifting my children some money for their retirement. I could contribute to a SIP or towards a lifetime ISA, which they can access after age 60. A LISA seems attractive as they will get access to their full pot and not have to pay tax, which they would have to do in a retirement account. Is that a wise thing to do? So the LISA, the LISA. Yeah, I mean, it's a the the lifetime ISA is it's an interesting way of looking at the lifetime ISA because most people, I suspect, and I know this from personal experience because I've um, I've helped my children out in, in this way, they've tended to 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 use the lifetime ISA to view it as a mechanism for um, getting a deposit for a, for, a, for a house purchase. Um, and it's a pretty attractive way of doing it. You can put £4,000 a year into a lifetime ISA and you get £1,000 top up effectively uh, from, from the government. So uh, it, it's a great way uh, to save uh, for um, that kind of that kind of expenditure. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the one of the sort of um, quirks of the rules about lifetime ISAs if, is that if you do not use it for a house purchase, you cannot access it until you are. 60, 60, which sounds like a negative. But in in the in the case that we're talking about here, that's precisely it's a positive because, I mean, you know, this this person is 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 gifting money to their children with a view to them not being able to access it until till they're 60. So it does seem to be, you know, quite a sensible approach. Yeah, and it's hard to give a definitive right or wrong answer to this sort of question because uh, those different um, they're effectively different tax wrappers. Um, have different rules, as you say, and and whether or not it's the correct decision is going to depend on what happens in the future, which, of course, you don't necessarily know. A, a quick sort of whistle-stop of those rules, as you say, with, with lifetime ISAs, you can put in up to £4,000 and get a 25% uplift from the government on that money. That uplift happens once a year at the end of the year. That's yeah. important to, to remember. Um, now, with a pension, of course, you get tax relief on your contributions. For basic rate taxpayers, that's 20%. 
because maths, that 20% tax relief actually adds up to a 25% boost. So that is comparable across the two products. Um, but then things change. Uh, you can, with a pension, that money will grow, but you uh, you can withdraw it after a certain age, which might be before 60, actually, depending on the age of the child. So you might be able to get it slightly before, but you will be taxed on the money, not all of the money, because 25% of it is tax-free, but then there's tax at your marginal rate. I mean, the, the list of these caveats goes on and on and on and on. Um, it's a bit hard. You just need to kind of look at all these circumstances and take a best guess, because some of this... I don't know this 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 I don't know the age of these children I mean, maybe they're working they might even be working and being high earners now in which case it might be beneficial to put it in a pension because they'll get a higher rate of tax relief it's really really difficult without knowing all the circumstances yeah it it is and 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 the and the question actually within the question there's reference to the children paying tax or not paying tax uh, at some point mm. the reality is that um you will pay tax either at the beginning or at the end because if the ch- if the children the lucky children uh get away with not paying tax because of the choice of the lisa uh, vehicle uh the tax has already been paid That's because right. because the adult who is gifting the money will be putting the money into the the, the lifetime lisa out of taxed income so you don't get away with it it's mm. either at the beginning or the end of the process yeah i mean it's i, I don't know if we've actually made anything clearer or not <laughs> here but um all that is by way of saying it's complicated you really need to kind of look at all these different allowances and the, the limits of what you can put in you know one one consideration that occurred to me was well if, if this if this parent believes their child is going to be a high earner i mean maybe all the parents do um that child may go on to fully realise their allowances for pensions and all the rest of it. So you wouldn't want to eat that up by putting in a slug of money at the beginning. Um, either way, I mean, congratulations on on having the aforethought to do this because that money's got a long, long time to grow. It's going to benefit from all sorts of compounding. So yeah. either seem good options. Yeah, and congratulations to the children for having <laughs> such a generous <laughs> and forward-looking parent. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, let's move on, Tom. Uh, the next question is this. I was knocked for six throughout 2022 by the performance of index-linked guilt. Is there any hope of a recovery? Or should I take the heavy medicine of substantial losses? So index-linked bonds. Yeah, what do you say? Yeah, so so in, in index-linked uh, bonds is is, is is something of a misnomer because I think people um, uh, sometimes think that um, uh, an index-linked bond uh, will will hedge against the risk of inflation. Yeah. The reality of index-linked uh, bonds is that they are bonds and that they will respond in the same way that any other bond does to, a fixed income investment. to rising interest yes. rates. They are a fixed uh, uh, in interest income uh, investment, absolutely. Uh, so, and I think this did take some people by surprise because they invested in, in um, index-linked bonds in the hope that they would somehow hedge against inflation. The reality is that they were disappointed in that because they're bonds, interest rates rose and that reduces the value of, of, of bonds. Um, so, uh, I mean, there is, there is an element of protection against uh, inflation within an, uh, 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 th- this type of bond, um, but it's maybe not as much as people hoped. No, and, and, and I mean, let's widen it out a little bit towards, you know, the bond market in general, um, which, of course, will affect this index linked part of the market. What is the outlook 
for Bonds. I mean, it hasn't been uh, a fun place to be, but I suppose you could say there's room for improvement, perhaps, that there hasn't been before. Yes, I think the outlook for Bonds is actually better than it has been for some time. And the reason for that is that uh, the bond market anticipates future movements in interest rates. So it has already priced in what remains of the monetary tightening cycle. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a fair chance that um, if interest rates do peak, um, as is expected, maybe in the middle of this year, um, uh, then at some point they will interest rates will start to fall again, and that will be a positive for bonds. So I, I think um, many people are more uh, enthusiastic about investing in bonds than they have been for many years, actually. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on for now, Tom. Uh, this next question, um, it, we, we addressed a similar question in the video that you and I recorded this week uh, for the Outlook. Um, but it reflects a question, or many of the questions that we got. It, it, it is this. Hi, Tom. Given the poor outlook for, with a looming recession and high inflation, is it worth simply putting everything in cash to earn interest? If so, how long into the future would you fix for? So this reflects the fact that cash rates look, on the face of it, quite attractive. Yes, I think for the first time in many years, a, a bit like what we were just saying about bonds, for the first time in many years, uh, you can get a competitive income from cash, especially if you're prepared to tie your money up for you know one, two, or even longer uh, years. Um, you know, we're talking about three, four, maybe even more than that percentage percentage points uh, income, which is which is pretty pretty attractive. And for some people who are very concerned with capital preservation rather than growth. That will be enough. And they'll look at that and they'll say, you know, if I can get 4% on my on my um, savings, I'm happy with that. I think the performance of the stock market so far this year underscores the danger of, of that approach, because if the stock market were to have a good year uh, in anticipation of recovery, economic recovery next year and were to rise by, you know, eight, nine, ten percent, then mm. a three, four percent return on cash wouldn't look quite so quite so attractive. So there is a price to pay for the security of cash. Yeah, you can understand people's attraction towards cash at the moment, but it does mean locking in probably a return that doesn't beat inflation. Yes, at the um, moment, yeah. At, at the moment. I mean, th that's the sort of paradox of cash because... You know, if, if you, you can find accounts paying four plus percent, you might need to tie your money up for two, three years to do that, to get that kind of return. Inflation is obviously running a lot hotter than that. Now, you could you could rewind a couple of years and cash was paying basically nothing, but inflation was basically nothing as yeah. well. So the actual difference between the two was less than it is now. So mm -hmm. cash has actually in some ways become less attractive versus inflation. Yes, in real inflation adjusted terms, in purchasing power terms, uh, e even at 4%, it is less attractive than it was two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's move on for now, Tom. Now, the next question, never let it be said, Tom, <laughs> that we duck... The difficult questions uh, and this is in that spirit this next question my investment with fidelity has crashed from sixteen thousand to twelve thousands in the year to december this my money was transferred from legal and general um and what has happened mm. so this reflects the fact that uh, fidelity as a company took on a whole load of customers from legal and general another company um and some of those customers have seen the value of their investments fall and there is some disquiet about that as you might understand um but there's more to this story so what yeah. is the answer so uh, you know okay caveat uh, i don't know there's 
personal circumstances of, mm-hmm. of this p- particular uh, investor. But what I do know is that um, many of those customers transferred across to us were invested uh, in passive funds. Um, uh, and uh, we are looking back on 2022, which was a very difficult year for the markets as a whole. So uh, a passive fund which attempts to to mirror the performance of a stock market uh, last year may well have fallen by that that kind of amount because that's what that's what markets markets did so you know there's a timing element here yeah that the markets that the 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 time of the transfer from legal and general across to fidelity coincided with a fall in the market so mm. there's, there's there's nothing much that we can do about that unfortunately and um we've talked about the the prospects for the market this year it's entirely possible that that some of that at least will be reversed yeah ex- exactly I, I think this is a difference between you know people need to understand where their money is invested it's not it's how your money is administered and the company doing that doesn't control investment decisions that will be at a, an investment level um and it's it's very likely that the investment level choice has not changed yeah it's the same investment it's just that that investment has performed less well um and that's the reality of that situation so um things can go up as well as down and so yeah let's see what happens in the next year but rest assured it isn't to do with the transfer of cost of fidelity that money has been lost from that investment correct okay let's move on for now uh will interest rates tom be higher or lower at the end of this year than today which is quite an interesting question. I'm not sure I know the answer. <laughs> it's a simple question. Uh, the answer is uh, the answer is more complicated. Um, so I've sort of uh, I've alluded to what I think is going to happen to interest rates, which I think is that um, we are coming to the end of a monetary tightening cycle. So a, a, an uplift in in interest rates. Um, uh, the the consensus is that the US interest rates probably have just under another percentage point to rise. Now, remember that in 2022, they rose from zero mm. to between four and a quarter and four and a half percent. So that was a very big um, rise in, in, in interest rates. So if there's only a three quarters of a percent or a percent to go, then we're nearly through that process. Uh, it's expected that that process will run its course by the middle of the year. Uh, the bigger question then is what happens next. Do interest rates start to come down towards a neutral level as central banks start to turn their attention to supporting a slowing economy rather than trying to get on top of inflation? Or do the central banks hold fire, pause, wait to see what the impact of previous um, rate hikes have been? And I suspect that's probably the the answer. Mm. They will pause for a little while um, because they don't want to make the mistake of cutting rates too quickly and then having to raise them again. Uh, they would very much like to um, to only go in one direction, to, to raise rates for as long as they have to and then to cut rates when yeah. they can. To, 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 to wobble and to, to, to change direction doesn't look good for a central bank. So they're more likely to err on the side of caution, I would say. However, by the end of the year, I think interest rates will start to be coming down. So the short answer to the question is, I suspect that interest rates probably won't be very far from where they are currently. I think they'll go up a little bit. And by the end of the year, they'll be coming down again. And and does that apply to the UK as well? I mean, clearly, there's probably further rises in the Bank of England rate to come. Um, 
and, and this is going to be, I think, an, just a, a huge issue in the general economy and discussion around people's household finances this year. I mean, we know that anyone that's had contact with the mortgage market in recent months or the housing market knows about this, knows that it's getting much, much, much more expensive to, to borrow. People are able to borrow less. We're seeing that effect in the housing market. Prices are beginning to come down. But only a few people have had contact with those markets because mostly people are on fixed rate mortgages. They only they only kind of remortgage when those deals come to an end. More and more people as time passes will be in that position and they're going to find that their repayments have gone up quite a lot, you know, hundreds of pounds a month. And that's obviously going to have effect on the wider economy as well. I, I My prediction, I suppose if I've got one prediction for this year, is that the Governor of the Bank of England is going to be a very unpopular man by about August, September time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think you're right. I think that 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 many people do not even yet understand what's 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 happening because they haven't seen it yet in uh, in in their mortgage um, payments. The, the Bank of England is in a tricky position because um, it has control to an extent over what it does with interest rates. Um, but it cannot divorce itself from what's going on in the rest of the world, and in particular, um, what's going on uh, in the in the US, because uh, the level of interest rates is very closely tied to the level of currencies. Um, and um, if the US central bank maintains interest rates at a high level, and as and as we described just now, they sit and they pause and they wait for, with them at five percent or so for a few months there's very little that the bank of england can do they can't they can't cut interest rates because that would put enormous pressure on the pound and that has knock on effects in fact it be, it's inflationary mm. so i you know i i think that that what will happen is that central banks will broadly track each other you know they'll they, both on both sides of the atlantic they'll rise a little bit and then they'll pause and they'll stay at that level for mm. a few months and i think what so the same will happen in the uk as in the us okay okay well let's move on tom uh the next question is this i know you don't provide advice but you mentioned a few months ago that you were personally investing in japan since then their stocks have performed about as miserably as most of the world however would you still maintain that J japan is still an attractive proposition perhaps even more so with their stock prices now even lower Yes, I think that's quite a harsh assessment of, of the performance of the Japanese market, because actually uh, last year, um, in, uh, in keeping with, with the UK, um, the Japanese market was one of the better performing um, stock markets. Um, uh, it, it actually did um, fall a little bit right at the end, end of the year, but, but, but until the beginning of December, it was broadly flat uh, for the year as a whole, which compared to the performance of markets like, like the US was, was not bad uh, at all. Japan is a perennial disappointment. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, 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 it often looks cheap. And it doesn't really make any difference. I, what 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 tends to happen with the Japanese market is that overseas investors, who are very Im important in the direction of the Japanese market, tend to get enthusiastic when they see signs of reform. Uh, so you may remember that 
10 years or so ago, we had this thing called Abenomics. There's a new prime minister came in. Um, he was he was a, a, a breath of fresh air in many ways, and he introduced lots of reforms, and the stock market did well. That sort of petered out a bit. There is some evidence that uh, there's a new um, government, about a year old, uh, the, the prime minister called Kishida uh, this time, and he is also thought to be interested in, in some some far-reaching reforms of the Japanese economy. So who knows? If we do get reforms, the Japanese market is certainly cheap and it might be a good combination. Okay, okay. Well, this is uh, the last question for today. Uh, I don't understand, the question says, I don't understand choosing the best funds as there's so many to choose from. Help, <laughs> they say. Yeah. So a very well, we simple... Can. Qu- we can help, We actually. can, help we can try, one, yeah. certainly try and help. I mean, the premise of the question is right. There are literally thousands of funds um, to choose from and it can be quite overwhelming for, for investors to, 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 to know which of those funds they should choose. That's why we launched a Select 50, um, which, as its name suggests, is a, is, a, is a list of about 50 funds, which we think are excellent funds um, and, uh, and would reward, you know, being looked at by, by investors. And looking at 50 funds is, of course, a lot easier than looking at, say, 3,000 funds. Yeah. If you find 50 funds too much, then I would point you towards our Select 50 Balance Fund, which is a single fund which invests almost exclusively in Select 50 funds. So it's almost like a one-stop shop for for investors. So we do attempt to make it easier for investors to to, to narrow down the universe of funds. And and there are other very, very simple choices as well, aren't there? I mean... um you can buy a single fund which for very uh, for a low cost which tracks the entire in the entirety of global markets very very simple to do um you, you can you know look for a, a world tracker or a global tracker fund that's obviously tracking stock markets you can do what you've suggested there which is uh, a, a, a a blended fund of, of, of a fund of funds, as the Select 50 Balance Fund is. Um, there's all sorts of options that will will mix together the assets, the regions of the world that you need to invest in, without you really having to make any decisions. Um, the key decision is to invest in the first place, isn't it? And to set the level of contributions that you want to make, uh, to be sure about your goals and the levels of risk that you're going to be taking, all those sort of good basic principles. And then actually the decisions about picking funds and picking investments need not be a burden. Yes. And indeed, you know, uh, over time, you might um, develop more confidence and, and want to choose your funds. But maybe you, to start with, you want to do, you know, what, what you suggested there was maybe just just start with a tracker fund, uh, mm. a fund that simply gives you exposure to the stock market. And as you learn more about it and you become more confident, then maybe you can choose funds yourself. OK, OK, indeed. Well, Tom, we've answered absolutely loads of questions there. So uh, that is all the time we have for now. Thank you so much for coming in to give your answers. I'll remind listeners that the Investment Outlook is available to read at the Markets and Insights section at fidelity.co.uk. There's also a series of videos recorded by Tom that focus on each of the main asset classes. Uh, And there's the Q&A video that I mentioned that Tom and I recorded this week as well. That is it for now. Thanks for listening. (music) 
Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.